Psalm number 55. In your Bibles, please. <clears throat> so, one of the things I wanted to share with you by way of introduction this morning is um, connecting several of the previous psalms that we've studied and maybe showing how those previous psalms, particularly Psalms 51 through 55, and I've never seen it before until I had the privilege of studying them uh, for the last several months. These psalms are in a grouping, and there is a major theme which connects all of these psalms together. And if you were to sort of hang a description or a basic message, as we would say, on Psalms 51 through 55, I would call them the Psalms of Betrayal, the Psalms of Betrayal, because betrayal to, in one form or another is what is the common denominator, if you will, between all of these various Psalms. Psalm 50 acts as sort of a primer and introduction to these Psalms of Betrayal. And the way that it does that is if you remember our study from the 50th Psalm, the psalmist categorizes two classes of people in Israel. The first class of people in Israel are those who are genuinely redeemed and they have lost sight of what the sacrifices and offerings have meant all along, and they sort of sink down into ritualism and formalism. They're just going through the motions, going through the rhythms, checking all the boxes for the sake of checking the boxes, and they have sort of lost sight and lost touch of what all of those precious offerings and sacrifice meant all along, and all of those sacrifices and offerings speak of the blood of a God-ordained Redeemer, firstly and foremost, and they also speak of our relationship, our love relationship to and with God. It's also worth noting that when you study the Old Testament, there are what's called covenants. And one of the major themes in the 50th Psalm is the Korat covenant in Hebrew, and it means a covenant or to cut a covenant. And if you remember, the ceremony in the ancient world, especially there in the Near East, in the Canaanite Mesopotamian world of where the Bible was originally written, a karat covenant, to cut a covenant, meant that the offerer would split an animal in half and lay the pieces on both sides and they would walk through this slain animal and on the other side they would recite a, an oath um, and they would say, if I fail to keep my end of this bargain or this covenant, may what has happened to this animal happen to me. Well, it's a very visual thing and... and uh, quite rudimentary, but nevertheless, it's what they did in those days. And you see this happening uh, in the life of the man Abraham when he cuts a covenant with God. And so there are two kinds of covenants. I used to say there are conditional and unconditional, but that's really not, uh, that's really not as accurate as I would like. There's what we would call 
unilateral and bilateral covenant. So in a unilateral covenant, you have one person who makes the promise. In a bilateral covenant, you have two people that agree to the same promise or contract or covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was a unilateral covenant. That's the covenant that God made with Abraham. The covenant on Mount Sinai that God made with Israel through Moses is a bilateral covenant. But it doesn't matter which covenant you're speaking of. If you're speaking of a unilateral covenant where the bulk of the responsibility to keep the contract and promise falls on the shoulders of one, or a bilateral covenant where both parties are responsible to keep the promise, both parties are always responsible. And what's interesting about Psalm 50 is that God, at the end of the psalm, um, punning off of this karat to cut a covenant language, he says that if the people of Israel don't keep their end of the bargain, that he's going to cut them in pieces. This is a very, very vivid, uh, grotesque even sort of picture that's being painted for us in the 50th Psalm. And what that tells us is that God is not, was not, under the old covenant, God was not satisfied God was not appeased and pleased with the Israelites simply going through all the rituals, formalistic sort of external motions of, of uh, coming and making their offering and doing the right thing. But God is interested in what's going on on the heart level with that human being in him. In other words, in Psalm 50, God is clear that he doesn't necessarily want a sacrifice and an offering of blood and so forth, but God is looking for a heart of thanksgiving. And he actually says that on multiple occasions uh, in the 50th Psalm. What happens is, is from Psalm 50 to Psalm 51, there is a definite connection between those Psalms because in Psalm 51 is the first Psalm of betrayal. And in that Psalm, David betrays God, David betrays Uriah, David betrays Bathsheba, the child, and the people of Israel all at the same time. And toward the end of the 51st Psalm, he says something that is uh, very, very heart-searching. He says in verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. In verse 19, then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And there's a definite connection between what David says here and what was previously said in Psalm 50. And what we surmise was that David had lost sight of what these offerings and sacrifices really meant on the heart level. What these offerings and sacrifices meant on the heart level was that David belonged to God and God belonged to David and David and God were in a covenantal relationship with one another. And that these offerings and these sacrifices were merely heart expressions 
of what is going on in a deep and thriving, passionate and vibrant one-on-one relationship with God. Because God has given all and because God is faithful, I am to be faithful in bringing my sacrifice and offering to the altar of the Lord. And so what we surmise then is uh, the root cause of why David did what he did and sinned against the Lord, Uriah, Bathsheba. He betrayed them all, himself and the people of Israel, is because David had lost sight of the preciousness of a deep and personal relationship with his God. Then you come into the 52nd Psalm, and David is no longer the betrayer. Now David is the betrayed. And we find that Doeg, the Edomite, the mass murderer of the priests of Nob in the book of 1 Samuel, we find that David is betrayed by Doeg, the Edomite. So in Psalm 51, David betrays God, Uriah, Bathsheba, Israel, and the little child that ultimately is going to be taken away. But then in Psalm 52, David himself is betrayed. And David is betrayed by a foreigner. But then you skip a psalm. We'll come back to Psalm 53. You skip a psalm and come into Psalm 54 and you find that David is betrayed again. This time David's not being betrayed by a foreigner. He's being betrayed by the people of Ziph in in the uh, southern part of Israel. His own countrymen. It's not just foreigners that David finds himself betrayed by. It's not just enemies, Saul and Doeg and all that have aligned with them. But now it's David's own people. It's his own tribe. It's those that... Uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, he actually saves an entire city from being overrun by the Philistines. And then he turns around and can't even trust the people that he just delivered in military victory. They're going to betray him. David finds himself betrayed by foreigners. He finds himself betrayed by his own countrymen. But then in between Psalm 51, 52, It's almost like if you don't really pay attention, something happens in Psalm 53 and God just sort of throws this psalm in there for some strange reason if you're not listening. And then you have Psalm 54 and then we're going to talk about Psalm 55 this morning. But Psalm 53 is interesting because it is the reiteration of Psalm 14. And you remember that uh, in Psalm 14, it begins just like it does in 53 with the words, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why all the betrayal? Why do human beings betray God? Why do human beings betray one another? Why are we betrayed by even our closest companions, friends, and confidants? Psalm 53 answers that question. We are sinners, fallen from the grace of God. In Psalm 53, the Bible says there's none that seeks after God. They've all gone astray. And these words are so uh, pertinent that Paul in Romans 3 quotes from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 to show that the entire human race is in need of God's justifying, saving grace in Jesus Christ. This is important because as you study these betrayal psalms, you're left with this sort of horrible taste in your mouth. And you 
can't help but ask the question, why? And Psalm 50 and Psalm 53 answer the question, why the world is filled with such bitter betrayals. It is because human beings are not in a relationship with God. They're not appreciating their relationship with God. They're not nurturing and cultivating their relationship with God. And they are inwardly sinners from Adam and from Eve. And this is the great message of these psalms. Which brings us now into our 55th psalm. David is, David is the betrayer. David betrays God. Uriah Bathsheba, the child in Israel in Psalm number 51. David is betrayed by Doeg, the Edomite, a foreigner, and by King Saul, his enemy. Then in Psalm 54, David is betrayed by the people that he just saved, the people of Ziph. And then in Psalm 55, I want you to notice the theme verse of the 55th Psalm is Psalm 55 and verse 13. But it is you, well, let's read verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Here you have it. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Let us come to learn how to weather the storm of bitter betrayals as we consider the way in which King David reacted to these kinds of hurtful situations. I have three basic points this morning. Number one, David's personal anguish. Number two, life in the big city. Number three, and conclusion, a turning point. Number one, David's personal anguish. Number two, life in the big city. Number three, a turning point and conclusion. Notice with me the first four verses of Psalm 55. The Bible says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because of the noise of my enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. While in Psalm 52 and 54, while Psalm 52 and 54 record the betrayal David faced while he was in the wilderness fleeing Saul, Psalm 55 reveals the betrayal he faced while in the city of Jerusalem. Now, we know that David's in the city because he says that he is. And what that tells us is that David was king. Because if he would have been still fleeing from Saul and the armies of Saul, he would not have been able to be in the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel at the time. And that was where the throne of Saul was and the palace and so on and so forth and the center for the political life of Israel in this day. And it tells us that David was the king and it also tells us that David probably had some unmet expectations. Some unmet expectations. You say, what do you mean? 
Sometimes we expect our situation to get much better once we have entered into our calling and find some fruit doing what God has called us to do. In other words, it may seem like while you are in college that everything is going to be better once you get your degree and you get hired on at the next company. But what you find is, is once you get your degree and you've completed your course and you've been hired on, that new levels bring new devils. And uh, you find that uh, you have completed your schooling, got your degree, and now you are entering your calling and it's going to be life happily ever after. And very often we find that there are even greater challenges awaiting us once we take that next step up the ladder rung. You see, that was how David probably was. David probably thought once Saul is out of the picture and God finally removes him and I am installed as the king of Israel, then life is probably going to get better for me. But that wasn't the case and David learned that the hard way. David was just as troubled or maybe even he was more troubled when he was the king as he was while he was a fugitive on the run. I want to show you the progression or the digression of the strong language of these first four verses. In verse number two, David says that he was restless. In verse number four, he says, I am in anguish. And then in verse number five, he said, fear and trembling. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. The terrors of death, fear and trembling, horror overwhelms him. Boy, that side doesn't sound too encouraging. But see, that is the kind of feelings, the kind of emotions, the kind of thoughts that we have when we find ourselves betrayed by our closest companions and our familiar friends. The closer someone is to you, the deeper the knife is thrust into your back when they decide to do that. Now this is a horrible thing. If you have ever been betrayed by someone that you loved deeply, that you shared sweet personal communion with, if you have ever been betrayed by someone who knew you just as good or better than anybody else in your life, someone that you let into your heart, you let them into your heart, then they tear your heart in pieces. Those are the most bitter betrayals of them all. And it produces feelings of restlessness, doesn't it? Sleepless nights. I just can't stop thinking about what they've done to me. I just can't get any rest. Make you restless. David said, I'm in anguish. My heart is torn. My emotions are a wreck. I just can't get over what they have done to me, my closest companion, my confidant, my comrade. You even feel like you're going to die or even like you want to die. He said in verse 4, look at it. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death 
have fallen upon me. When you find out that a mate has been unfaithful or you've ever dealt with someone who has found out that their mate, their life mate has been unfaithful, the terrors of death feel as if they will assail you from all sides. The deep anguish, restlessness, the betrayal is so bitter. He said, fear and trembling beset him. Horror, verse 5, overwhelms him. Wow. The closer they are, the more it hurts. And these are the feelings that are accompanied when we are betrayed and when someone betrays us. Trouble's inescapable. They're unmet expectations that David had. He thought, boy, once I sit on the throne and, you know, he probably expected things to get tough. But he found out that his troubles were unescapable. Let's see, uh, look at this, verses 6 through 8. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. He said, I just want to run away. <laughs> I want to get out of town. David said, I need a vacation, a long one. You know... I've been studying the Psalms now for a number of years. I taught them while I was in Illinois, and now I've been teaching them here for, oh, 14, 15 months. And this is the first time in Psalms that we have heard David say he wants to completely escape his problems. First time. Why is that? Well, in the earlier psalm, his enemies tempt him to flee like a bird to your mountain. Psalm 11 is your reference, but David says, I'm not going to do that. Here in Psalm 55, he says, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to flee like a bird. And this is what deep-seated feelings of betrayal by our closest companions and confidants, allies and friends. This is the kind of thing it makes us want to do. Makes you just want to escape. When David was young and vibrant, David was able to fight and win many great battles. But it is in the late stages of his life and ministry where he finds himself weary and worn out. Does that sound familiar for some of you? When you're young, you know, you can kind of handle it. You may make some mistakes along the way because you're not real smart when you're young. I always, uh, it's, I'm always interested to hear people say they'd like to go back to when they were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I'm trying to forget all that. <laughs> 
Uh, it was a very, very difficult time, and I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me a million. If you, somebody gave me, if somebody said, Pastor Joel, I'll give you $1 million, but you got to hit the uh, rewind button and go back to 18 years old, I'd say, no, thank you. Now, if you let me go back with what I know now, I might think about it. But even then, it's such an awkward time, you know, in your youth, you're so foolish. It's why it's good for young people to stay close to their families uh, for the first few years out of high school if they can. But when David was young and vibrant and full of life and vigor, he was able to take on these battles and he was even able to have some really great victories. But after age has set in, maybe a few illnesses, and he's... In the twilight years of his life, he's a little bit past middle age, if you understand what I'm saying. He finds that his strength to fight those battles just isn't what it once was. Maybe you had achieved certain milestones and victories in your spiritual life in your youth. But now age has caught up with you as life goes on. Maybe victories that you thought you had already won, you are now being faced with the self-same troubles that troubled you before, and you're not able to face them with the same life and vigor as you once was. And you just feel like your troubles are inescapable. Inescapable troubles at home. Sometimes, no matter how much you want to get away from it, you can't. We don't, get, we don't just get to check out permanently. Troubles with the children. Inescapable troubles with children. Troubles that keep coming back maybe even over the course of years and decades. Inescapable troubles in our society. Maybe you thought, well, after the election, I, I hoped it might get better. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe you thought, or maybe you are facing inescapable troubles with your own self. We'll talk about that in a minute. The difference between now and then is that you no longer have the vigor of youthfulness to sustain you in the fight, and you are left feeling drained, and you desire to just flee from it all. That's how David felt. Say, well, I never felt like that. Well, thank God you've never had one of your closest friends knife you in the back like he did. And if, you don't ever, if you've never felt like this, then you probably ought to thank God. Because there are many people who can relate to the words of this great psalm. Maybe David just had wanderlust, as they call it. There's people now, me and my friend Will Fowler, you know, you maybe hear me reference him so often, but, uh, you know, me and my friend Will were talking, and uh, there, he went to Bible college with a young guy whose family was very wealthy, and every summer he would just check out and go to Europe with just a backpack and the shoes on his feet and go mountain trekking all around. That's fine. But folks, you can go mountain trekking all you want to and your problems are still waiting for you, aren't they? You can go on vacation a week, 
two weeks, it sounds awful nice. And maybe that explains, you know, the vacation tourist culture that's so prevalent in our society. And people just want to escape their problems all the time. But one of the great themes of Psalm 55 is that of perseverance. Persevering in faith and in a love relationship with the Lord, even in your old age when the life and health and vigor that you once had in your youth is gone and drained away. This is the test, isn't it? Are you going to remain faithful to God in the twilight years of your life? Life in the big city. Look at David's description of what goes on in metropolitan areas, 9 through 11. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. It's talking about Jerusalem. Day and night they go around it on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. David knew cities well. This is what they're like. I've lived in them, been around them. And it does seem as if on every side in the big city life is very tough. Life is very fast. Some years ago, they used to say in a New York minute, a New York, how long is a New York minute? Like that. A minute in Royal Center is not the same as a minute in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. Things are much different. Life moves at a faster pace. There's more people and more problems. The enemy within... We might get the impression from verse 2 when David says, Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Verses 1 and 2 when he says, His enemies. Verse 3, because of the noise of my enemy. You kind of get the idea like the enemy that David faced would have been another outside force like the Philistines. But that is not what David's referencing. Here's a good quote I want to give you. It's not mine. Quote, we have met the enemy and he is us, end quote. We have met the enemy and he is us. Look at what he said. He said, verse 9, for I see violence and strife in the city. And verse 10, and iniquity and trouble are within it. The enemies that David faces are not enemies on the outside of Israel, they're enemies inside the walls of Jerusalem. They're his own people. What does this mean? It means that the culture of corruption, as we would say it today, and that's the culture that we live in, the culture of corruption. Say it with me. The culture of corruption. That's where we are in our modern American society. No doubt about it. But guess what? It's not unique to just us. I mean, if you read the description that David gives in verses 9 through 11 of what life was like in the big city, it sounds an awful like what life is like in all big cities everywhere, no matter where you are. And what we find is that because we are there and we are sinners, Psalm 53 says that, that's why there's so much corruption in our cities. 
is because cities are filled with sinners. And the city has a great hope, though, doesn't it? What is the great hope of the city? It's the same one that David is referencing. The hope of the city is God. What is the answer for the violent problem that we see in Chicago, Illinois? Jesus Christ is the answer. Say it this way. The only hope the cities have is to be delivered from their corruption by the same hope that you and I have. And Christ is our hope. What is the hope of the city? Christ is the hope of the city. The gospel, God himself. When was the last time that we prayed that our great cities would rediscover who God is? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Is that possible? Yes, it is possible. With God, all things are possible. I want to show you something very fascinating. Notice verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. Hmm, I wonder what he's talking about. Divide their tongues. This is a reference to the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapters, well, really chapter 11, but it begins in chapter 10. What does this mean? Why does David pray for God to divide or confuse their tongues? Well, you remember the story of Babel. All the people unite together and they build some great tower and it's going to reach the heavens and they're going to reach God by their own work and by their own efforts and ultimately they end up turning away from God and turning to beings that are not gods and uh, God ultimately gives them over to that and he divides their tongues. Well, the reason why God divided the tongues, he confused the languages and confounded them, was to stop their evil plans. So David says, Lord, just as you stopped the evil plans of the people who sought to build the Tower of Babel in the early part of Genesis, Lord, confuse the tongues and plans of the enemies within the gates. Those within the city of Jerusalem, Lord, confuse them, their tongues, confound their plans. I like what Dr. Boyce said. Quote, we would be many times worse off if evil people could actually get their acts together and work in harmony against the righteous instead of fighting amongst themselves as they habitually do, end quote. God, David says, Lord, turn them against each other. Just like you did at the Tower of Babel. Now see, we don't pray like that. <laughs> For many reasons we don't pray like that. But when was the last time that you prayed that God would confound the plans of the wicked, that he would confuse their evil just like he did at the Tower of Babel? Now do you think that kind of prayer honors God? I think it does. I know it does. Because David prayed that way. And this is a man after God's own heart. Don't you love these little nuggets of prayer that you find in Psalms? How to pray more effectively? How to pray in a God-honoring way? It's right there in the text, isn't it? It's clear. Lord, confound their language, the plans that they have to try to ruin your work and corrupt your people. Oh God, divide their tongues, scatter them, confuse them. I pray that right now. <laughs> okay. Last but not least, we have a turning point. Look at verse 16 in closing. 
Verse 16 through 18. But David says, But I call to God, the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Look at what David says. David proclaims the grace of God in three moving phrases. Verse 16, he said, the Lord saves me. Verse 17, he said, the Lord hears my voice. And verse 18, he said, he redeems me unharmed. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you see how a vibrant, one-on-one, passionate relationship with God can turn your lament and mourning into joy and praise? This is why it's so important that we stay close to God. Because no matter how close of a friend knifes us in the back, no matter how much we are betrayed by our closest companions, God desires to be closer to us in personal relationship than they were. God is not like they were. God never betrays us. God always answers our prayers And by the way, God always answers prayers in one of three ways, yes, no, and wait. Just because you're praying for something now and you're not seeing an answer, that doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. God always hears the prayers of his people. It just might not be the time and it might not be the best thing for you. Remember when I first came here, I said, do you praise God for answered prayer? Everybody says, amen, Brother Joel. I said, did you praise God for unanswered prayer? You think of the things that you've prayed for, that you thought or what you needed were the best thing for you, only to find out later that they weren't, (laughs) that God had a better plan. I can name you, oh, about 10 dozen things in my life that I've found that to be true about. Lord, I need this so badly. God says, no. No, I know what you need, Joel. Just wait. It was the personal experience of God's saving grace in the past that moved David to trust God in his present. Here's another quote. Quote, this is a prayer in which the psalmist unburdens himself of his anguish, describes the terrors he is facing, reflects on the evil of his foes, asks God for help, and then persists in laying the same things before God again and again, stanza after stanza. This psalm is a lesson in persevering faith. It is also an illustration of how such persevering prayer first changes us, strengthening our faith before God intervenes in response to change our desperate situation, end quote. Hang on. If you're experiencing betrayal on whatever level it may be, betrayal by your own countrymen, betrayal by foreigners, Betrayal by your closest allies. Persevere in faith and prayer with God. He will deliver you. Let's pray. May we, like David, learn to persevere in faith with the Lord as we grapple with feelings 
and situations of betrayal. 